pray for the word. Father, tonight, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, you have been faithful to us. You've brought us out of all the things so that you can bring us into the promises you've made. Lord, we give you thanks. Holy Spirit, we ask you to bring revelation to us tonight. Help us to see and understand what it is that that uh, you're doing in our lives and in our world. Lord, we believe you. We stand with you. Holy Spirit, show us what we need with the spirit of revelation tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, I don't know if you read the news today. The state of Ohio voted in favor of infanticide last night. And uh, so abortion will be legal in their state for the murder of babies. Uh, that's that's very very disturbing. I mean, you know, while the war is raging in Israel, and hundreds of Israelis were murdered through by the terrorist Hamas. I mean, that's still making headlines, and still should be. It's amazing to me that while the vast vast majority of Americans support Israel. The media is giving all the attention to those who are in favor of Hamas, and uh, it's just a travesty that we're not getting the whole. They're not getting the, they're not getting the true story because of the terrorism that the, the Hamas rebels have, and the, our education system seems to be robbing uh, young people of the truth. And so, while that's going on, and that of course is a huge travesty, and Israel is being blamed <coughs> for being the bad guys. Uh, and while that's going on, we're not hearing about the thousands of people that are crossing our border every single day and bringing all kinds of drugs and there are terrorists entering the country and, you know, they come in and these people are entitled to free health care, government housing, free food, smartphones, all at your expense. You, you, get, you get to pay for that and many who've entered illegally will be entitled to money because they were separated from their children, some up to $450,000 because they were separated. You know, any lawbreaker is separated from their children when they go to jail. I, I don't know why that's a, that should be a, a thing. I mean, you know, we still have supply chain issues in our country. I never in my life thought there'd be shortages in America. I never thought it would happen, but we still have those issues and, you know, the... the, the the woke and the cancel culture is out there, and they're they're trying to 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 mandate the critical race theory and the normalcy of transgender sex be shoved down the students' throats in public schools today to be able to change their minds. And that they're good with the boys that are dressed like girls to be admitted to the girls. You don't have to be dressed like a girl. You just have to say you feel like you're a girl. And you can go to the girls' bathroom and their girls' dressing room. Uh, you know, and those things are all going on in our country and, and in our world. So, in light of all that, how does that make you feel? <laughs> well, let me say this then. Happy holidays. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're in November now, <clears throat> and so it's, we're, we're gen, genuinely in the, the holiday season. You know, Thanksgiving is two weeks from tomorrow. I believe that's, that's pretty quick. It'll be here, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll be after that. It'll be Christmas time, and so, 
even though the holiday season is on, just you can just read any uh, any watch or listen to or read any news, and you'll understand that we're still in a fight. There's still a fight to fight. There's a fight of faith that has to be fought by the Christian people. So let's think about these verses of Scripture for a minute. The Bible says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain you, and He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. That's in Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. The word cast here. Yes? Amen. Amen. We we can't be we can't be and who is the righteous? Those who have made Jesus Christ the Lord of their lives. He we have his righteousness. He took our sin. He became sin. We became righteous. And so that we're the ones he's talking to. When it says to cast your burden upon the Lord, the word cast means to throw out, to throw down, to throw away, to shed, to hurl or fling. I mean it's telling us to get rid of the burden. It's not our burden. The word burden means a lot, portion, but mostly the word burden means anxiety. So I'm about fear and worry. We're to throw away fear and worry. Jesus talked a lot about that when he said that he told us not to think about certain things. We're supposed to throw those things away. Throw them away. If we'll throw it down or throw it away, he will sustain us. The word sustain means maintain or support. He supports us when we do that. He won't, he won't allow us to be moved or to be shaken, to, be, to slip, to fall, or to waver. But we have to somehow throw it off, get rid of it. And the only way that can happen is by taking His Word and meditating in what He's said. Meditating what He's promised. You know this one in 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. The word casting means to throw with violence in the Greek. I mean, it doesn't mean just pitch it it means throw it hard and get rid of it i mean casting all your care the word all means all all your care the word care means anxiety or worry we are not to worry we're never to worry my mom used to tell me that she anytime she wasn't worried she would worry because she wasn't worried <laughs> and she said son i'm just a worrier and i said mom she said, that's just, that's, just, that's just how I am. I said, no, Mom, that's how you've become. You've trained yourself to worry. And I said, we don't have to worry. And she said, well, I know you never worry about anything. I said, that's right. I take that as, as your confession is the truth. We don't have to worry. He alone has the shoulders to bear our worry, what we're worried about. The only other time this word is talking about casting or casting all of this anxiety. It talks about Jesus when talking about when they cast their their coats and the palm leaves on the donkey because the donkey was built to carry them. Jesus is built to carry the worry and the anxiety. And when it says He cares for us, that word care there is not worry. It's talking about a concern, an interest. He is interested in us. He doesn't want us to have to be worried. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, <clears throat> Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. It is a fight. We, we taught on that for several weeks a while back. 
lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. So how do we do that? How do we fight a good fight of faith? I mean, it's right in the verse, though. It says that if we're going to fight the good fight of faith, it has something to do with what we say. Because it said, what we professed a good profession before many witnesses. The word professed and profession is the same as the word confession in the, in the King James Bible. It comes from the Greek word homo logeo, which means to say the same thing as someone else. It means to say it, to agree, and say it out loud. So that's the way we fight the good fight. We, we agree and we say it out loud. We must learn to fight in the spirit by saying the same thing God says in spite of what the circumstances say. This is what I know. The circumstances are temporal. The word will last forever. Only two things are going to last forever in, in, from this planet. The word of God and the people. The circumstances change all the time. So we need to go with what's eternal. Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? We can't really walk with God unless we agree with God. We can't really agree with God unless we know what He said. And when we agree with Him, that's how we fight in the Spirit. Our words must agree with God's words if we're going to walk with Him and obtain victory in spiritual warfare. We must learn how to fight that way. Many Christians, if not most Christians, are totally ignorant about regarding what I just said. They just go with the circumstance, go with the flow, and they believe that we don't fight because Jesus did everything for us and His grace has, has helped us. No, no, His grace comes as we believe. And His grace empowers us to accomplish His purpose in this world. And he want, he, we still have a lot to do. Malachi 2.17 is an interesting verse of Scripture. The Lord said, this is what the Lord said, or, or this is what the prophet Malachi said, you have wearied the Lord with your words. You want to get, make God tired? That's how you make Him tired. You talk in disagreement with Him. You can't walk with Him unless you agree, but if you're talking, if He said, if He's saying all things are possible to him that believeth, and you're saying this is impossible, it makes him tired. It wearies him. The, in the next chapter, verse 13, it says, Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Anytime we talk and we don't agree with him, our words are stout against him. We have to learn to agree with him. Words that contradict God's words weary him and they're stout against him. He wants to do the word in our lives. He wants to do His promise in our lives, but He's hindered when we speak against Him. When we come to the place where we say, well, I believe the Bible, but... Or we, we say, it's just not working, God. We're making a mistake, and we're basically calling Him the liar. But He's the one who tells the truth. Let me read that verse again. I'm going to add the next verse to it. It says, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. 
Now, what this is saying is that Jesus talked right to Pilate, but before it says that, it's saying that God the Father and Jesus are watching us to see how we're going to talk. They're listening to what we have to say. I mean, Jesus at one time says if we don't confess him or agree with him before men, he won't confess or agree with us before the angels or before the Father. He said if we deny him, before men. The word deny means to not say. If we do not say what he said before men, then he will not say what he said before the angels. The angels are released. We understand that they hearken to the voice of his word. We get heavenly help from God, from the Father, from the angels, from, from the Holy Spirit when we simply speak what God says and choose to believe it. That's how we fight the fight of faith. That's how we stay in the fight. I mean, the Master gave us understanding of how to fight the fight of faith with our confession. In Revelation 1.16, he says, And he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun that shineth in his strength. Jesus' weapon was a sharp two-edged sword that came out of his mouth. In other words, Jesus fights with the Word. That's what he does. That's how he fights. Instead of us saying, I just can't take it anymore. Why don't we fight the fight? We can take it. Because I can do all things through Christ, the anointed one, who strengthens me. He and his anointing strengthen me. I mean, Jesus fought with his words. In Revelation 2.16, he says, Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. That's how Jesus fights, with the words. We've got to learn how to take it seriously. And learn how to speak in, 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 in spite of the circumstances we're, fa we're facing. We need to learn how to say what God says. We've got to know what He said so we can say what He says. Romans 8, sorry, Romans 10, verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Those are powerful, powerful words. The victory is right under your nose. It is in your mouth. It is but what you say. We will always speak consistently what we believe. When we speak his words... Because we've ingested them into our spirit on a regular basis to the degree that the revelation of faith has risen in our hearts, we'll be saved. This word saved here doesn't mean born again. The word is sozo, and it means made whole, delivered, rescued, and made well. When we simply will take his word, believe it in our heart, but say it with our mouth. That's the fight. And I'm going to tell you something. It is a fight when you don't feel like saying it. I mean, you don't feel like saying the joy of the Lord is my strength. You don't feel like saying what he said. That's a fight. But we believe with our heart. We say it with our mouth. And we're delivered by our agreement and speaking it out loud. I mean, just because we go on the holidays doesn't mean that we don't have a fight to fight. Because the world... The scripture says it gets worse and worse. Amen.
Yeah, let's, let's talk about something else. I'm going to do something tonight that I don't I very seldom do, <clears throat> but I'm going to t- teach tonight and the next time and the next time messages I taught two years ago when I talked about Christmas. I'm going to talk about what we have so many Christmas traditions that really are not very scriptural, and so I'm just going to I'm not against I'm not mad at them at all, but I want us to talk about some things tonight. We're going to talk about Mary and Joseph. The Bible says here in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, and I realize it's not quite Christmas yet, but we have three more times I'm going to teach, and then I think we're having a party, and I think we're not meeting, we're not meeting after Thanksgiving, is that right? The next one? Is that how it works? We are meeting on the 29th. We're meeting, the 29th is the next one. Yeah, that's after Thanksgiving, okay. And then we meet two weeks in a row, three weeks in a row, from what Tammy, I think Tammy said, okay. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. Luke 2, 7 says this, And she, talking about Mary, brought forth, her, brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now this, of course, is the true story of the very first Christmas. So we're going to start talking a little bit about Christmases, about Christmas. So like a lot of other things, religious tradition has blinded people from what really happened at Christmas. I mean, we have this idea that there's this baby, and it's real quiet and clean and sterile in this manger. And he's got this, this halo over his head, and a light is shining on him. And, and we have, we have the, all these pictures. But we're going to talk about what, what it possibly was really like. So we're going to look at a lot of things along the way. Christmas traditions are great things as long as they agree with the Word of God. It is okay to have Christmas, have turkey every Christmas. That does not disagree with the Scripture. But we need to find out, make sure our traditions aren't in opposition to what the Bible says. I've heard a story, I've heard it for many years about the family, that, that they were, they, they, they bought, they'd buy a roast, and before, before they would cook the roast, they'd cut the end off the roast every, every year. And the husband finally says to the wife, he says, honey, why do we cut the roast, the end of the roast off? Every time you cook a roast, why do we cut the end of it off? She said, well, because my mama did. Mama always cut the, 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 the end off that roast. And they said, well, let's just call mama and find out. So she called her mama. She says, mama, why did you cut the end off the roast before you cooked it every year or every time you cooked it? And she said, well, I did it because my mama did. My mama cut the end off the roast. That's why I cut it off. And she said, well, we're going to call Grandma. We're going to find out why she did that. So they called Grandma, and they said, Grandma, why did you cut the end off the roast? I mean, every, you, you always cut the end off the roast. She said, well, um, well, I did it because my mama told me to cut the end off the roast. So she said, okay, we're calling great-grandma, and we're going to find out why we cut the end off the roast. They called great-grandma. They said, Grandma, great-grandma, why did you cut the end off the roast before you cooked it? And she said, well, I didn't have a pan that was big enough to hold the whole roast. And so sometimes we have traditions that are really not based on anything, but we need to find out why we believe what we believe. Christmas traditions that keep Christ in the center of Christmas, they are wonderful. They're the most important thing. But we've got to tell the truth about what occurred and, and that wonderful evening that God manifested himself as a man in the form of a baby. So tonight, let's talk about Mary for a few minutes. 
Now Mary, <clears throat> you know, has a good reputation, but a lot of what people think about Mary is not really true. So let's talk about her. All right. Today, if you, if you go to, to the ancient city of Bethlehem, there's a church there called the Church of the Nativity. It draws visitors from all over the world. It was constructed oh, about 1,500 years ago by Emperor Justinian. What's more interesting, though, is that there's another church located just beneath that one that it's very difficult to get into. It was built in the year 326 A.D. under the supervision of Helena, who was the mother of Emperor Constantine in Rome. She was she was a Christian lady. She was deeply devoted to identifying and preserving historic sites per, pertinent to the life of Jesus. She was all about that. The cave beneath the Church of the Nativity is, is, is determined to be the actual place where Jesus was born over 2,000 years ago. It's still there. You can still go. I don't know how you get, get, get to go to that cave, but there are, you can go there. All right? But the church is above it. All right? It was in that location that this young teenage girl named Mary gave birth to Jesus. Okay, although there were many girls God could have chosen for the assignment, Mary, the Bible says, was highly favored and purposely selected by God for the foundation of the world, from the foundation of the world to give birth to Jesus Christ. Mary was. She was still, and she was, still is, a central figure to all Christianity. All right? And early church fathers recorded a lot of things about Mary. Okay, in addition to what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul, and other, uh, others wrote, the early church leaders wrote a lot about her. So some, here's some facts that we need to know about her. All right? We know that Jesus' grandfather on Joseph's side was a guy named Jacob. We find that in the scripture. But we also know, according to some writings, his grandfather on Mary's side would have been, would have been Mary's father. His name was Jehoiakim. All right? Jesus, we know this about him, he had cousins. We think about Jesus, we forget this. He had cousins on Mary's side of the family. He had cousins named Zacharias and Elizabeth. You've read about them, right? And so their child, whose name was John, also, he became John the Baptist. He was Jesus' cousin. We know this about Jesus. He, the Bible tells us he had four brothers and two, at least two sisters because it says sisters. There might have been three or four, but he know he had at least, at least two because it's plural. His brothers, it tells us, Matthew 13, tells us his, the names of his brothers. He had one brother named James. Now, you know James because James wrote the book of James. He also became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem later on in his life. He was the brother of Jesus. He had another brother named Jude. Jude wrote the book of Jude in the Bible. So James and Jude were, were very close. He had a brother named Joseph and a brother named Simeon, and he had sisters. So we find from the scripture there are at least 14 members of Jesus' family, not, not I mean, with, with Joseph and Mary. So here's what we know about Mary. The most detailed account is, is listed in Luke chapter 1. It says this in Luke chapter 1, 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Hail thou that are highly favored, for the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Now notice twice in those five verses, the angel said that Mary was favored. In fact, he said she was highly favored. Okay, so it means God had, he had singled her out for a purpose. She was highly favored. Now, just 
so we'll know that. The same words are used in Ephesians chapter 1 talking about us when it says that, that we were made accepted. That means highly favored, the same thing. He goes on to say, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Now Zacharias, when the angel talked to him about him having a son, Zacharias basically said, I don't believe you. Mary didn't say, I don't believe you. She didn't say it can't be done. She simply said, how can it be done? How's that going to happen? I don't have a husband. She didn't argue. She didn't doubt it. She just, she just wanted to know how it was going to work out. So she simply said, how would it happen? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. He called her a handmaid, or she called herself the handmaid, which means she's a, she said, I'm a female slave. She basically was saying, I am your servant. I'm available for whatever assignment you want me to, want to give to me. Now think about it, though. This is, this is kind of a tough thing. She is betrothed to Joseph. We'll talk about that in a minute. The angel says you're going to have a baby. It's not going to be by a man, but you're going to have a baby. Now you've got to think about it. I don't know if she was thinking about it or not, but all the negative things were going to happen because this single girl in these days was going to have a baby. And so, but she said, it doesn't matter to me. Whatever God wants me to do, that's what I will do. So we know she gave birth to Jesus. She and Joseph raised him. And here's also what we know about her. Mary was at the cross with Jesus when he was crucified. She saw him after the resurrection. She was there on the day of Pentecost and spoke with tongues like everybody else. That's what I know about Mary. We know that since, since Jesus, that Jesus entrusted Mary to, the, to, to live with the Apostle John while he was hanging on the cross, John later moved to Ephesus to oversee the church there. Mary went to live in Ephesus with John because she lived with him until, until the time of her death. It's most likely while she was in Ephesus, she met this guy named Luke. He was a doctor, but he's also a historian. And we know that Luke got his information about the birth of Jesus from Mary. She talked to him and she told him what was going on. All right, so let's talk about when she was growing up. Now, here's what, here's what history tells us about Mary. It tells us that Mary's parents were elderly. They were very old and they could not have children. They prayed for a long time for God to give them a child. And they made a vow that if the Lord would give them a child, they would give the child to the Lord. And this is from church historians. Early Christian writers recorded that when Mary was born... Her parents presented her to the Lord and dedicated her for God's service. So, from the time she was an infant, the understanding of being dedicated to God was instilled into her. Moreover, her parents told her she had been born into the world to serve God. Thus, she was raised to believe that she had a special purpose. And she believed that because that's what her parents told her. Her parents raised her in a home where God's Word was the priority. And it shaped her in every way of her life. She was raised to believe that she was to obey God, whatever God told her to do. And so when, Ab when Gabriel came and he told her that she was chosen to be the mother of the Messiah, she accepted it. And it wasn't a huge struggle because she knew she was called to something. All right? She had been intentionally prepared by her parents to, to, be, to serve God faithfully. So early records tell us that Mary's father was in full-time ministry as a scroll scholar. That means that his life was built around commitment to the scriptures. 
as a scroll scholar. He was in the synagogue all the time because that's where the scrolls were kept, and he was a keeper of those. Therefore, his family was involved in the service of the Lord as well. Mary's father, as I love this, he was dedicated to the Word. History tells us that her father and and her family relocated to Nazareth at some point in her young life. They lived in Nazareth. While they lived there, her father served uh, as as the overseer of the sacred scrolls in a synagogue in a nearby town called Sephoris. Sephoris, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, was located four miles away, and it was a city of great magnificence and beauty, and it shows that Mary's father and their family were dedicated to the Scriptures. Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Matthew one eighteen says, when, his, when as his mother, Mary, was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. The word espoused, espoused was actually the word for betrothed. She was engaged to Joseph. Before she was married, while she was engaged, she got pregnant with his child. So when she was engaged, she got pregnant with the baby Jesus. Now, it's important that Jewish girls were traditionally eligible for betrothal at the age of 12. And that's something we don't sometimes understand. She was probably between the ages of 12 and 14 when she became betrothed. So as at this time... The tradition said that the public announcement of their marriage would take place and that now for one year they began to prepare for their marriage. One year from this this announcement. At the end of that time, they'd have a ceremony and they would be joined together. During the one year, they had to prepare for one year. They could not have sex. It was a full year of purity and preparation for this lifelong commitment. They took marriage very seriously. They did not rush into it. I mean... I think today marriages fail because people rush into them all the time. They think they're in love and they're really in lust, but they get married and those people couldn't for one year. Right? They knew that marriage was important, the most important relationship in life. And so for one year, okay, Luke one twenty seven confirms what Matthew one eighteen says, that Mary was a virgin and she was espoused to a man named Joseph. Again, she was, she was engaged to him. And so before they came together, the Bible says that Mary was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, that's a pretty serious thing. Now, let's talk about Joseph again for a minute. Joseph, here's what we think about Joseph. We think Joseph was a poor carpenter. That's what we're taught from the time we're children. The Bible says in Matthew 13, 55, that Joseph was, that Jesus was the carpenter's son. And people have heard it. They believe that carpenters were poor, but that doesn't line up with history. The Greek word for carpenter is the word tecton. Tecton, we, we get the word technician from that word or technology from that word. The word tecton describes a person that is highly advanced in whatever skill he possessed. Highly advanced. It depicts a person who makes exquisite furniture, jewelry, mosaics, stonework, or even one who is the building supervisor. Doesn't sound like a poor carpenter that's working with just scraps of wood. The word carpenter is limiting the word for, for, this, for the translation of the word tecton. As a tecton, Joseph was advanced in the technical skills he possessed. He was a tecton. He wasn't a simple carpenter that worked with wood, rather a highly paid professional. He lived in Nazareth, but it's almost certain that he worked as a tecton in the city called Sephoris that was four miles away. Right? He was, it was a highly affluent town. Joseph, that's where he probably met Joseph's parents, I mean Mary's parents. And Mary's father was a scroll scholar, so they probably met, and he had this great reputation. Sephorus was a city that was built by Herod Antipas. 
He was one of the sons of Herod the Great. Antipas wanted to erect a city that would become the magnificent ornament of Galilee. So he began construction of the city, pouring abundant finances and great effort to its development. It became the banking center of the Middle East. So many affluent and exceedingly wealthy people went to Sephoris and took up residence there. I mean, it was a, a, a pretty city, and it was on the cutting edge of culture. So what's interesting, most of the workers in Sephoris lived in Nazareth, which was, as I said, four miles away. And Joseph was a tecton that probably worked there and lived in Nazareth. Right? He was probably, they, most people think he was a building supervisor and a highly skilled craftsman. And so he, he was there. And so Jesus, in his ministry, he was... He was People were amazed at the things that Jesus knew, even though he came from Nazareth. But it's because he knew a lot about Sephoris. He probably worked with his father in Sephoris. He learned the trade of, of a tecton while he was there side by side with his father. He saw the wealth and he saw all the banking and all the things that were there. That's why he was able to speak with such knowledge and authority about all the things he spoke about, because he saw all those things. All right? So Joseph here was entrusted with true riches. At some point... Mary's parents probably saw Joseph working out, working and thought, man, that'd be a great husband for our daughter. He's skilled. He's got money. He's very talented. Man, he's a tecton. And so we could, we, we could just get him to marry our daughter. They didn't think of him as a poor carpenter. So if you think about it, if God was going to give someone the greatest assignment that had ever been given in the human race, the responsibility of raising the son of God, would he give it to somebody poor and unsuccessful? Well, the answer is no. That's not what God's going to do. He'd entrust him to a reliable, successful one. Jesus said in Luke 16, 11, he said, If therefore you've not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? God entrusts true riches to people who are faithful and who've passed their past assignments. All right? That's, that's, that's what he, he, God's very predictable that way. So, Based on how God works and the principles taught throughout Scripture, we know Joseph had been faithful in his profession, and that's how he handled and how he handled money. If he didn't do all that right, God would never chose him to be Jesus' father. So Joseph was Joseph. I think is the forgotten hero of Christmas. Mary gets all the, you know the second billing. Jesus gets the top billing. Joseph, I'm telling you, that guy was a hero. Think about it. He had, he marries this girl. And nobody really talks about him. But here's what the scripture says about him. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, his, when as his mother, Mary, was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So they were engaged. They had gone through the year of sexual purity and all those things. And so, so here's what happens. It says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. He was a just man. The word just, the phrase just man means a righteous man. When Joseph discovered Mary was pregnant before they came together sexually, it could have been hurtful to his honor. This is why I think he's the hero here. I mean, he, he could, because it seemed like it was a dishonor to him, he could have gotten angry. He could have put her away. It could have been a whole different story. But he was not willing to make her a public example because, because he, he married her he, he, because he, was, he, he wanted to put her away, but he wasn't going to do it privately. He wasn't going to make a public example of her. Truly, because of the law, he could have had her stoned to death because she was pregnant. He could, have, he could have put her away publicly, but he didn't want her to be humiliated. He didn't want her to be embarrassed. He loved her. He obviously loved her and cared about her more than his own reputation. 
because she was found pregnant while they were engaged. But he loved her, and he was going to be—he was going to be very quiet about what he did. He was kind and he was merciful. I mean, he could—he could—he could have divorced her, could have had her put to death, all kinds of things. But he was spiritually attuned and obedient to God. Luke one twenty says, "But while he thought on these things, thought about what am I going to do? How am I going to do this the right way? What can I do?" While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, "Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take." Unto thee marry thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. I've thought about this a lot. What would I have done if I had a dream? And I was engaged to Tammy. And she was pregnant. And I knew it wasn't mine. And the Lord said to me in my dream, Randy, the child that's in her is of the Holy Ghost. I think I would have said, yeah, right. Even though I did have a dream. I'll tell you another time. I had a dream about marrying Tammy one time I knew it was from the Lord and so that's, that's, that's one of the reasons we're married today is because the Lord did talk to me in a dream but Joseph heard the Lord in a dream and in the midst of the stress of that situation he heard God his heart was so spiritually in tune that he could still hear the voice of God I tell you we need to learn how to be like that we need to learn how to hear God in troubled times He's getting ready to be the foster father of Jesus, but he was spiritually attuned. He, he, when God said, marry her, he said, yes, sir. Not only was he able to hear his voice, he was obedient to the voice. This is what Matthew 1, 24 and 25 says, the New Living Translation. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to, as his wife. But he had no union with her until, he, until she gave birth to a son. He did what God said. I mean, he proved he had, a, he had a deep trust in God. Shortly after Jesus was born, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and be thou there till I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. I mean, that's pretty important. He hears God. That's why God picked this guy. He, he heard him. He said, You've got to get out of here. And that night, they got up and left. And went to Egypt. I mean, think about that. I mean, he had been working in Sephora. He was successful. People knew who I was. And now he's in Bethlehem. He's wanting to go back home, but they got to wait. And this is like two years later, but that, and he's trying to work it out there. And the Lord said, go to Egypt. They moved that night. Now, here he is. He goes to another country. I mean, he had a great reputation where he was. He goes to Egypt, which is different than Israel. Egypt is pagan. Israel is not. I mean, he had no contacts. He had no work permit. He had nothing. And he obeyed God, did exactly what God told him to do. But he still took care of them. Now, we understand, we'll talk about later, about the friends who came and gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh that helped him along the way. But, I mean, they, he just immediately did what God told him to do. He was a spiritual leader of his family. When, Joseph, when Jesus was a child, we know it says now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. So we know every year he took his family to Jerusalem for the Passover. Passover. Every year they celebrated there. I mean, he, was, he went because God told him to. God selected Mary and God selected jo- Joseph because they were people who he knew he could trust with his son. He knew, he knew that they would take him and be what he was supposed to be, what they were supposed to be to him. They were selected by God. Now, let me tell you this part. 
I mean, everything in the scripture is, is there for a purpose. And so at the time that, that Jesus was born, it's there for a purpose. I like what it says. And in the days, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. The word decree means a public decree. And so they made a decree and everybody had to follow it without questions. And it says all the world was to be taxed. It's not talking about the whole planet. It's talking about the inhabited or civilized world. It's specifically talking about the Roman Empire. And so they just came up with this decree. Now, this is interesting to me. They came up with this decree at this time, and they said all the Roman Empire was to go to where they were from and be taxed. So that's, that, they, they said that. They said, and all the world should be taxed. The word taxed means to be enrolled. It was supposed to be an a, 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 a empire-wide census so they could count the people so they would know how much money to expect to run the government so they could collect the taxes. All right? So just imagine this. They said, okay, everybody, you have to go back to the village or city you are from so we can count you. Everybody in the whole Roman Empire had to go back to where they were from. I mean, imagine this. All the people leaving all this town to that town and that town, and they're traveling everywhere. Everybody's leaving so they can be counted. All right? So they're all doing it. So families, and they're packing. So businesses are closing down, and some businesses are enjoying it because of the tourism money. Other businesses are closing down because they got to go and be counted another place. I mean, there were travelers, and they were going everywhere. I mean, they have to, they're all going to where they have to be. Now, some 730 years before this, a prophet by the name of Micah, he prophesied that one to be the ruler of Israel would come from Bethlehem. That's an interesting thing. Notice what God does to make His Word come to pass. He moved the whole world. He moved everybody he needed to move to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so Jesus could be born there. He moved the world to perform His Word. He will do the same thing today. I'm telling you, He'll move everything for you just to get His Word to come to pass. Tammy and I were having a conversation this week and we said... We didn't really know this. It was a good conversation. We didn't really know this good thing was going to happen to us, but God moved us to a place so this could happen now because that's what He does. Even when it looks impossible, even when it seems like it can never happen, God chose Mary. God chose Joseph. He got them to Bethlehem at exactly the right moment so that Jesus could be born. And He knew they were going to follow what He said and they did exactly that thing. So that's a little bit about Mary and Joseph. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you chose Mary. You chose Joseph. We thank you you chose us. She was highly favored. We are accepted in the beloved. We are highly favored. God, we thank you for your presence, for your purpose. We thank you for the Christmas season, and we rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen.